he grabbed my mouth. I bit him as hard as I could. He was like punching me. Well, I thought he was punching me, but it was actually he was stabbing me. And I had a purse up to protect my heart and stuff. So he actually stabbed my purse a bunch of times. And I got stabbed twice in that incident. And then I was unable to disconnect from him. I would ended up being on my back. My dog was attacking him at the same time and getting his ankles. And then at this point, I realized that he had a knife because before the knife was in a Del Taco bag and immediately saw the knife and then started kicking as it came down. And then I was able to kick the knife out of his hand and then it landed on my right hand side. I picked it up and then just started wailing on him and I stabbed him 13 times. The last two times were in the head because I watch a lot of Walking Dead. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Tara Newell. Tara is a real-life hero. She's a survivor and lucky to be alive. Tara was attacked on August 20th, 2016 in her apartment complex by John Meehan, her mother's estranged husband. Tara fought him off and ended up fatally wounding him while doing so. Her story is at the center of the highly popular series and podcast, Dirty John. She joins me on the podcast today to talk in depth about what really went down with the Dirty John story. We're going to get into things like how John Meehan presented himself initially and con Tara's family. We're going to talk about how did the situation begin to unravel and when did things start to take a turn for the worse. Tara and I are going to get into her prior self-defense training and how she knew the attack was coming. Tara is going to narrate in detail what happened when she was attacked and what transpired afterward with her mother and law enforcement. Our combo is also going to get into how Tara healed from such a traumatic event and what her current relationships are like. Tara and I are going to talk about why toxic relationships are so hard to leave, and how to exit one safely, and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Tara Newell to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Tara, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to chat with you. I'm blown away by your courage, by your bravery, by your story, and everything that you really did essentially to defend yourself. Obviously, for those of you who are listening who aren't familiar with in the Dirty John series, your then stepfather portrayed himself as this perfect man, was a con artist and a liar and and, and, and threatened you and then tried to tried to kill you and end your life. And you defended yourself and ended up killing him, which is, which is super awesome. I mean, I was reading in one of the articles that it's, they, they say that like normally the good guy or the good woman ends up being the one that dies and you survived and it's super inspirational. And I think your story is going to empower a lot of people, but like, before we get into that, I want to provide the listeners with some context of like your background and everything. I know your mom was an interior designer. You know, you all grew up in, in California, but like, what was, what was childhood? Like, I know your mom was married several times before she met John. So what was that like? 
my childhood was a kind of like I don't know somewhere in between the American family and then like the OC (laughs) like the television show my mom didn't have the right picker she wasn't able to you know pick out these you know good guys there was always something like wrong with them like you know like five years down the line like an anger issue or you know she got cheated on or you know just unfortunate for her so my childhood I had different you know figures in my life and they were in and out of my life at times and not stable so you know I kind of had the same patterns in my relationships like my mom did and you know my childhood my mom tried her hardest she was a hard worker and I had lots of nannies and stuff but she tried to give like everything she could to us so she was a good mom you know right and so where was your like biological father was he ever around when you were younger or or no Yeah. So my parents got a divorce at age seven. I have a really great relationship with my father and stuff currently, but growing up, he was just, my mom had more so custody of us. And then, you know, mom, daughters, it's a different vibe than like your dad and daughters. So like, of course we're going to stay with her most of the time. So growing up like we would see him like every other weekend and stuff like that and then later just like we get dinners every now and then and then I just really like having conversations with my father I just love hearing his perspective about like my childhood and like what went on because you know I'm not gonna lie I did have some resentment that he wasn't fully there because I didn't understand like the custody agreement and so much But now I'm like, I have so much understanding and I just love my relationships with my parents now. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And from what I understand and from what I've read, it seems that despite this massively traumatic experience for your family, it's brought you and your mom so much closer together, like as a result of all this. And I grew up in a divorced home as well, so I can definitely understand from the the context of having some resentment towards my parents because of, you know, like, why am I going from this house on this day and this house another day and my friends aren't. So I guess my question is, because it seems like this guy, John, from what I understand, he had just gotten out of prison, like a few days, I've been out of prison for a few days and met your mom on a dating site. And your mom was like head over heels for this guy, which is, but before that were, were the guys in your understanding and your experience, were they bad guys they treat your family bad and and then that resulted in your mom just being open for whatever love came at her first or, or no I think that that is a very hard question because when you get into the cycle like from a psychological understanding when right. you get into the cycle of toxic men you have to really do the work hold yourself accountable and it's like you have to break it like you're it's an addiction because it affects the brain the same way addiction does the same way cocaine affects the brain the same way sugar affects the brain and so you really have to do like a detox 
and then get out of it and then go into dating and then have like a non-biased opinion help you guide you through this process. In my sense, from my experience, that's what's worked best for me and other people that I know. I'm a life coach right now myself for toxic relationship recovery. So you really have to go through the process of basically getting the addiction out. Oh, for sure. And you're absolutely right. And I think toxic relationships, they can be very addicting because you have this hot and cold where things are really, really good for a moment. And then the next day they're really bad. And you're just waiting for that next rush, that next hit of good to come. Right. And that becomes addicting because now it's just like a dog chasing its tail. You're looking for that original feeling you got when you first met that person or first got into the relationship and it never comes right. Because you start to get less and less attention. The fights um, start becoming more and more common. I mean, the amount of, of love you get from that other person becomes less and less because now they know that they've got you trapped in this, in this vicious cycle. And, and you hear a lot of with people when they get into relationships, specifically if they haven't done like a lot of work on themselves that they want to fix the other person, or they want to just see the good in that person. But in the case, it seems with your family, like that kind of like mindset nearly like costs your family, your, your life. So like, what did this guy present himself as? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people that are listening to this, that maybe they're not in a situation that's as intense as this was, but very similarly where they, they meet somebody that presents themselves with all the right things, checks all the boxes, but on the flip side, it's just not who they say they are. Okay. So John was different with me and my sister and my siblings. And that is like, kind of like the red flags, how the red flags tie in is that he showed us a different mannerism than he did my mom. With my mom, his goal was to isolate her and his goal was to isolate her away from my sister and I, and anyone buzzing in her ear that this guy may not be who he says he is, or, you know, he might not be such a great guy. Anyone who's going to like give a negative outlook to him. So he treated my sister and I just like so differently. We went to dinner with him. I did. And a couple of my friends did and my boyfriend at the time. And at first he was charming and he was trying to be charming, but he still didn't like want to fully engage. He didn't want to give full on answers to questions. Like he wanted to give a closed ended answer. Like I would ask him like, Oh, how's your day going? And he would say, good. And that would be it. So it was like that energy being thrown at me at first, but he still wanted to be like, this perfect guy to my mom. So in her eyes, he was trying. And from my perspective, I was getting different energy. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and it just, it just seemed from the beginning, you and your sister just both knew that something, that, that, that something wasn't matching up, right. This guy presented himself as this super successful anesthesiologist, who was like the knight in shining armor. I know he told your mom that he was going to be the best thing that she ever had. And, and really behind closed doors, this guy was a multiple felon, right? He was in prison. He he had done this uh, type of ordeal to multiple women. And, and eventually there was like a time where everybody, he got found out by your mom, by you guys. And there was all these documents that were 
in his office that he hadn't taken care of. The guy, you know, was a doctor, but didn't have a car, like all these red flags. But I think people like that, especially if they're good, they can come up with a story super quick to match it up. And then once you question their story, it becomes your fault. Like, why are you accusing me of this? I can't believe this. And then all of a sudden now you're on the defense and it's just an easy way to kind of get the other person to not, to not say anything back because now you're like, Oh wait, like maybe he's right. Like you start to question yourself and that's not where the whole gaslighting thing comes in. Right. That's a popular term now. And I think yeah, that, that's it right there is like when you start to, when somebody's talking to you in a way and that you start to question your own reality. So when did things start to get bad like I know like you you all had a different feeling about it than your mom did at the beginning but when did things start to to take a turn for the worse in the sense that the, it created some tension in the family pretty much right away um I went and I stayed with my mom one weekend with my boyfriend at the time and our three dogs and then we came back for Thanksgiving weekend which was the next weekend I went and I did all the grocery shopping and I just like talked to the hairdresser and the hairdresser did all three of our hair. My sister, Jacqueline, well, like my sister, Nicole, too, my mom's hair. So she's heard it all. And then we just heard a lot about him from her because he went and got his haircut from her, too. So we were just hearing a bunch of stuff. And then I went in to question my mom. And I told her, I said, it's weird about the cars and stuff. Confronted so were, her about. Were they, were they married at this point? Not yet. Okay. Uh, okay. They married, I believe, in December. So like a month after this. And this is 2015? I think so. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then, so I confronted her and then he came up behind her and started accusing me of going through his stuff, which I found a box, but it was in the closet that we were staying in. And I opened it up and it was just like a box full of his stuff. And his nursing certificate was right on top. And it was like, it was open. So I just thought like, oh, there's his nursing certificate. And I have no idea about anything about the medical field. So I just thought, oh, he's a nurse also. Not thinking like, oh, that maybe just like might not check out on some things. So yeah, so you found out he was a nurse, essentially. And that began this, the path of calling him out on his BS. And then in turn, it seems created tension in the family because now he was trying to isolate you and Jacqueline even more. Yeah. from your mom because now he's like well they're lying or they just are jealous or whatever correct so like I said this to my mom I said oh I found his box of stuff his nursing certificate was right on top right and so that means he's living here mom and so I was confronting her about him actually living there mm -hmm. and not about the nurse but she went and she told that to him so he got super defensive knowing right. that you know, and he probably didn't think I, you know, don't know it a lot and just assume like, oh, he's a nurse also, or that's part of the training. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. And then, and then, and then I guess things started to really escalate like right after they got married, right? 
they escalated from me where right. I stopped talking to my mom. My sister Jacqueline stopped talking to my mom also. And then my sister Nicole and my mom started to like just have boundaries and stuff. My brother also had boundaries with my mom because they didn't want the kids around John at all. Um, so they just created those boundaries and then they were probably together for about like she left him once and then got back together with him and then they got a house in Vegas and then that was like probably about like a year out if that makes sense and then she left him again well I, yeah so I know he was in the hospital for having back issues right and then after yes. that she she was like texting him just pretty much calling him out on all his stuff. And then the divorce process started after that. Right. And that's where things like got really bad. I think between her and him where he was really guilt tripping her and trying to manipulate her and that sort of thing. Yeah. So I think she started trying to get it annulled at a certain point, like the first time she broke it off with him. And then he was able to convince her with a lawyer and stuff that like all those incidences were not him fully, that he's a good person, blah, 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 got her back into his life. And then from there, just went down a different route. Right. And, and so then I guess like after all of that transpired, I think he was, he, he got caught like stalking Jacqueline, right? And then she called you to, to warn you that, hey, he's in the area driving such and such car, like be careful. And then the next day is where, when everything went down, right? Yes. So yeah, you, no, the next day. Yeah. So yeah, could you walk <laughs> the audience through like what happened? Like you get this phone call from your sister, like what's going through your mind? Are you scared? Are you trying to prepare yourself knowing that he could potentially try and, and come after you? Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high-quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers and contain less than three grams of sugar per serving. This includes Organifi green juice, which I am now using in my smoothies, either after a workout or for a great on-the-go snack. It's loaded with essential superfoods and a clinical dose of ashwagandha. It helps reduce stress and support healthy cortisol levels. Cutting down on caffeine is a big initiative of mine as we head into the new year, and Organifi's Red Juice is going to help me do just that. It's basically a superfood fruit punch that gives me a jolt of energy without the caffeine, and it only has two grams of sugar. If you aren't into smoothies, don't worry. Organifi products are super easy to mix, and you can add one scoop to a glass of water. So go to www.organifi.com forward slash Doug and use code Doug for 20% off your order. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash Doug and use the code Doug for 20% off any item. Now back to the show. So in a sense, I've been preparing for months. I've had like dreams and stuff that he would like try to kill me and I would stab him, which is weird. So I've been just preparing for that for months. I literally, I taped up knives all around my apartment just kind of like have you seen burn notice like that show yeah like just like taping them up everywhere for safety and then I just was on I like prepared for my dog to go somewhere just in case anything happened to me I I knew this was coming so the next day I was actually supposed to go to the Jason Aldean concert and so I was just a little bit 
preoccupied by that. And so I wasn't on such high alert that day. I literally went to my job at the dog kennel. I came back. And then when I came back, my dog saw him and was barking at him. And I thought it was a homeless guy uh, fiddling with a tire iron in the back of his trunk. So I just told my dog to knock it off. And then I parked my car and I got out. And that's when John grabbed me by the waist. And then he looked me in the eyes and said, do you remember me? And then from like that moment, I immediately started trying to flee away. I did everything I could. He grabbed my mouth. I bit him as hard as I could. He was like punching me. Well, I thought he was punching me, but it was actually, he was stabbing me. And I had a purse up to protect my heart and stuff. So he actually stabbed my purse a bunch of times. And I got stabbed twice in that incident. And then I was unable to disconnect from him. I would ended up being on my back. My dog was attacking him at the same time and getting his ankles. Um, and I was wearing rain boots. And then at this point, I realized that he had a knife because before the knife was in a Del Taco bag and immediately saw the knife and then started kicking as it came down. And then I was able to kick the knife out of his hand. And then it landed on my right hand side, I picked it up, and then just started wailing on him. And I stabbed him 13 times. The last two times were in the head because I watch a lot of Walking Dead. <laughs> mm, wow, that's that's really in- inspiring to know that you had the the wherewithal and you just really like understood like survival in that moment because you see a a lot of people when they get into situations like that they either freeze or they panic like crazy and they're they get super emotional and they're not able to kind of bring themselves down and stay grounded to be able to properly defend themselves so had you taken any kind of like self-defense class before or was this all from just watch watching the walking dead never really taken a self-defense class or at least like someone came to my high school and did like a little thing but I didn't use any of those moves at all I feel like it was from watching The Walking Dead watching Dexter because like when I held the knife I held it really tight because and Dexter his Hannah McKay she like has a a scar on her hand from stabbing someone so I just like really took all this knowledge from watching true crime shows and you know even like law and order SU like came into it as like I remember every single person who survived something like that they always fought back and those were the survivors right and so you've got to fight back. So it was just like an instinct thing for you that from watching all these shows that when he attacked you, like you just went into full fight mode, like essentially just trying to save your own life. And, and then you started to kick him. And then some, you know, somehow by a miracle, it worked, kicked the knife out of his hand. And then did you know immediately like, all right, like my life now I need to kill this guy. Or were you like hesitant when you grabbed the knife at all? Or you were just ready to rock and roll? Well, like I had dreams about it and stuff. So like, I feel like that was maybe like God's way of preparing me for this way, this event. Right. And so like, I 
had that in me. Like I needed to do what I needed to do. And, you know, he's been harassing me for months and my family and had death threats on us. So, you know, he was either going to kill my niece or my nephews, or it was going to be me or my mom or, you know, any of us. And so I guess, so after that happened, what did the police do? Because I know obviously, you know, they they knew it was self-defense and in a lot of situations, it, it could have gone to court and you could have been charged with some sort of murder. So what did that look like? So like, I know from watching like the shows and stuff, like I immediately, like I just kept saying, and, and this is probably also like the shock of it too. I just kept repeating, like, he was trying to kill me. He was trying to kill me so that people knew that, like, it was self-defense. I I didn't ask for this, you know? And also let them know, like, if they go help him, like, there's a chance that he could try to kill them. So I was like, I didn't really want people to go over to him and stuff because I was, like, worried about their safety. So... The police got there and when they got there, I was on the phone with, I was on the phone with, I think I called my mom and I told her like what happened. And then I called my ex-boyfriend and then told him what happened. And then I was on the phone with him and then they like made me hang up. Right. Because they're like, you can't be calling people and like telling everyone what happened right now. We need to do some investigating. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, we got to find out like if you're actually telling the truth or what actually happened before you start, like, I guess, yeah, telling the world what happened. Um, So so what was the conversation with, with your mom like? I mean, I bet that was pretty interesting. I told her, I'm so sorry. I killed your husband. And then I told her I knew he would do this. And then she was like, I, there was, there's a recording out there somewhere. It's either on like Dateline or on like a show somewhere, but it just like, it has the recording of me saying like my exact words, this may not be word for word, you know, but just saying, I'm so sorry. I knew he would do this. And then she was just saying like, what honey, like I'm so, and then like, you know, where are you and stuff. Right. Right. (laughs) Wow. It's that's amazing as far as like how how well it seemed that you handled yourself like in that situation. Like I said a a few minutes ago to be able to have the knowledge to just fight back and defend yourself and not just say, okay, this is it. My life's over because there's a lot of people that are in that situation that just are like give up. They give up like, oh, my gosh, there's no way I'm going to be able to defeat this person who's who's much bigger than me. Right. And then they end up, unfortunately. Yeah. And then you are like, you know what? Like I'm not giving up without a fight. It just seems like you were doing those like bicycle kicks or whatever. And you just didn't give up and then kick the knife out of his hand. And then the rest is history. So like after that, obviously I'm sure it was pretty traumatic for you for, for many reasons. Like what did that, that early process of healing look like for you? Did you get into therapy right away? Was it family therapy? Like what really helped you in those initial stages of healing? So the initial stages of healing was actually a process. I got out of the hospital and, you know, obviously in shock and traumatized. My mom was in shock also. They, my sister and my mom were living together and they didn't want me living in the Coronados. And 
my where I used to live where the attack happened and my brain just was like oh like I don't really care like I don't know I just like I was okay to go back for a moment and then when I got back there it was different effects Mm -hmm. so like I'm happy that they moved me out of there right away so I actually moved to Texas stayed with my other sister who lives in Texas and her family and then I got in with the EMDR specialist and I was in twice a week with her and I got in with her she was amazing she made me feel safe and secure she made me feel validated in my trauma and that was the time where I flourished with my recovery wow and that is that so is that your stepsister like one of your stepsisters that lives in texas no my half sister from my dad's previous marriage your half sister okay yeah i i gotta i gotta imagine that in that initial stage you know you were it was super delicate but you're very vulnerable in a very like real raw state that it takes you know somebody who has deep a deep level of patience compassion and understanding of the situation to be able to be the person to really help you. And I'm not a trauma expert, but it seemed like there were so many layers to the trauma between you taking somebody else's life between what he did to you, between what he did to your family and everything else on top of that, that you've dealt with. There was so much there, I'm sure to unpack. So after, so where was your relationship like now with like your sister, with Jacqueline, with, with your mom, through all of this, did you guys at that point, like through your therapy and doing EMDR, did you guys grow closer together at that point? Or did that take some time? Well, I feel like their healing journey was a lot different than mine. Obviously I was the person that had to fight and kill him. So I was first priority in that sense. And their, their thought process was how can we take care of Kara? Not how can we take care of myself first? And so I went off, did my healing journey and they saw me just make tremendous improvement in my life. And even things before, because I also had like CPTSD from like being molested as a child and stuff and attempted kidnapping and all that great stuff, child trauma. And so I was a completely different person than I've ever been and I felt just normal for once in my life right and so they saw how good I did in my recovery and then they're like okay well like maybe we should do some stuff also or you know maybe they didn't quite see me and I'm not the reason responsible for that but maybe they saw that parts of me and that was parts of why they did it but other parts of like why they needed to get help for themselves, you know, for sure. For sure. Uh, and, and what I think it's pretty cool that in that moment, initially that they wanted to do what they could to help you and not like totally, I guess, make it about them as well. Cause I mean, that could have been that that could have definitely happened. Right. Just despite the situation. And it was kudos to them, I guess, for help helping the best of their ability to embrace your healing journey. And, and you're right. Like they're, their healing journey is going to be separate from yours based on everything you went through and what they went through. So what have been some of the, besides EMDR therapy, and then now kind of giving back 
in what you're doing now with your coaching? Like what have been some of the other things that have, that have helped you along this healing journey? So I really like meditation or just like a guided meditation because that actually helps um, change like the neurons in your brain and stuff. So it's really fun to do that. I get really excited about meditating and then doing breath work because a lot of the times when we have panic attacks, we're not connected to our breath and we can go you know, a while without eating or without drinking, but we can't go a few minutes without taking a breath. So breath is super important for our lives and learning to control it. So meditation, breath work, I go see a therapist every week, or I do it every other week now because I'm in a pretty good spot in my life. So, you know, therapy or having a life coach with a non-biased opinion, someone to really hold you accountable because as much as I can coach someone else through their relationships, I still need accountability with myself because when you're in it, you have all these serotonins, oxytocins, all these great things going on when you get into a relationship. And so it's so hard for you to see the bigger picture sometimes. Right. So just having that third party accountability. Right. So therapy, having a life coach, meditation, all, all good things. What about like your relationships with like friends? Like how, how has that evolved over the years was I'm sure there was a mixed bag, right. Of people that were like drawn closer to you and like, Oh my gosh. And then I'm, I'm guessing just that there were some people that maybe didn't understand the situation in full and, and that sort of thing. I mean, am I correct? Yeah. So in a sense, when you have toxic relationships, like romantic relationships in your life, you will probably have unhealthy relationships with friends too. Right. So in a sense, like growing up, I didn't really have good boundaries with people and stuff. And I didn't, I just wanted to see everyone as like a good person. So what, you know, I made friends with like sociopaths and just terrible people and, you know, good people too, but like a lot of terrible people. And I really had to go through the process of eliminating those friends and bring in healthy friends into my life or having boundaries with certain friends that like, you know, was a good person, but maybe I let them use me in the past. And it was up to me to put up boundaries with them. As long as they respected my boundaries, then they could be a part of my life. And, you know, of course, if they had boundaries too for me, I want to respect those boundaries because, you know, everyone, it's a give and take relationship with friendships and every relationship. Right. And along those same lines, like, what are some of the things that you've done like since you know what what happened with with John what have you done now in relationships with with men to make sure that you know you don't repeat like a repeat the pattern so I'm pretty good at like figuring out if there's like a big narcissist in my life or a psychopath or a sociopath you know in LA you can meet a lot of those (laughs) so I've met a few and it's funny because like I dated them for like a minute and then like I feel like I almost went on that second date even though 
I shouldn't and I tell everyone not to just to kind of like psychoanalyze them because I do what I do, but I didn't have that emotional attachment at all. I just wanted to like see what like their next move was. But like, it's funny because this guy, like I never, like he kissed me and that was it. And that's all we did. And we dated for six months. So that in a sense is like not the norm for like the normal person. And I didn't have an emotional attachment to him, but it was interesting just like listening to his game. And, you know, it took me a minute to be like, oh, I need to get out of this cycle. And this is like probably three years ago that I went through this relationship. But it's so interesting because I was like, oh, he's doing this. He's, and I was just naming everything he was doing. And I wasn't emotionally attached to him. I was just like, I just wanted to observe him like a therapist observing someone, even though I shouldn't have dated him to do that. And then he showed like a lack of empathy with like a dog too. And that's a really big sign. So I had a puppy at the time and there's this thing called pressure training to teach them if they bite. He, I taught him how to do it. He did it. And then the dog was uh, yelping, like it was not enjoying it and hurt and stuff. I told him like, okay, you can let go of the dog. Now he didn't let go when the dog had that reaction. When a normal person has, does the pressure training, the reaction is to let go right away when it gets to that point, because they don't want to hurt the dog, mm. you know? So this guy just showed signs of like a lack of empathy in that situation. And so, you know, I've never dated a guy since then that showed a lack of empathy. And I think now in dating, it's extremely important to put boundaries, like not meeting the person um, at your house for a while. Like, and when I say a while, I say like at least three months or at least like a certain amount of dates, you know? Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think once you can detail, like you said, once you were, you knew that you weren't like emotionally attached to the guy, you could think logically. And I think it's oh, yeah. very easy, especially for people that haven't done the work on themselves where they're looking for love to fill a void, or they're looking for love just to say that they have a relationship because they aren't comfortable with themselves. And then that's when people can become more quickly attached emotionally. Cause they're like, Oh gosh, I got what I wanted. I have this connection. I have this relationship. I can finally feel like I'm worthy because I have this person. It doesn't matter if they treat you like mud or if they treat you like gold, like you, you have yeah. that thing. And I think once you're able to separate yourself from that situation in that scenario and say, okay, like I'm doing the work on myself. These are the boundaries that I'm not willing to have anybody cross. This is what I want. And you wait and give it some time because typically like somebody will, will show their true colors after a certain amount of time. Right. Or if, they, yeah. if they're not going to get what they wanted from you in that short time, like whether it was a relationship commitment, sex, whatever, they'll go and try to find somebody else. Right. Because they're like, Oh, like this person, you know, isn't interested in, in what I have to give or whatever. And so if you can just be patient and give it some time, and, and be able to respond logically like you did, you're able to kind of remove yourself from the situation in a way that's, that's not so intense, not so traumatic, and you're able to kind of move on to the next person. And so I think this is a good segue to what 
one of the things I really wanted to chat with you about is in a world right now where so many people are meeting online, dating sites, social media, like you name it, everybody online presents themselves in this perfect way many, many, many times, right? Like you see the highlight reels, you see the, the perfect photos. Like, what is your advice to somebody that other than like setting boundaries, I think that's obviously important. And it's a given what's your advice for somebody who's right now, maybe they're single or they're looking to date, meet somebody online to make sure that they don't get themselves in a sticky situation. Take it slow. You know, part of the thing that I didn't do in that relationship, I didn't have sex with him. And a lot of the times when you go to that level, you're just emotionally attached. And so really having that disconnect, at least, at least for a while, you know, I say, I'm not saying to sustain from sex, like do what you do, you know, Mm. but just hold off on it at least for a while so that you can have that, an emotional attachment with that, at least. And then I think it's really important, and this may be a weird one to say, but it's really important for girls that have been in this situation or guys that have been in this situation to date multiple people when they get back into it. And when I say date, you know, you go on your date and you go to dinner and you hang out with this person and you don't have to kiss, you don't have to do anything, but like really get to know each and every person. And if there's someone like, if you do this, like for like a couple weeks or like a month or two months, you know, you kind of weed out some people. Right. Right. Yeah. I think taking your time and waiting to get physically intimate with somebody is definitely like good advice. Right. You know, you know, I know you had my buddy Rob Kowalski on your podcast and he talks about you know, waiting until marriage. I don't, I don't know if that's the answer necessarily. I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing, but I do think there's some truth and him and I have this conversation. So it's not something he doesn't already know, but okay. I, I think the idea that idea could work, but I also think there's probably room for some, some space in the middle of like, okay, you don't have to go kiss somebody or sleep with somebody on the first, second, third, fourth, fifth date, give it some time. And as the relationship progresses and you actually get to know that person on a deeper level for a length of time, then you can re reassess and make that decision. And so we, we, there, there, there's some obvious red flags, right. When in, in, in dating, whether it's the way somebody talks to you, whether it's uh, if they don't show up, whether if they're like just talking about all their partners in a bad way constantly or, or whatever. Right. But what are some like red flags that may present themselves as green flags? Like it seemed that with, your mom and even in other relationships that I know people have been in some of the red flags have been the big appeared to be green flags. Like somebody was just so perfect or they were just too nice or they were moving too fast or they got married too quickly. Like what are some signs that you think somebody should be pay attention to where a relationship or somebody they're dating can just appear to be like too good to be true. Well, like, you know, when it appears to be too good to be true, that is a really good example is, you know, if this person is like, oh my gosh, you're into dancing. I'm into dancing also. You like to go to the ballroom dancing? Like, you know, let's make a plan. Like, first of all, how many guys are into ballroom dancing? Well, just like, you know, some guys might be, but you know, just really like think, is he really into this? Like, 
it's okay to second guess this. And I'm just saying he because like from my perspective, you know, of course, yeah, yeah. Um, there's no judgment here. You can say, yeah, perfect. Um, well, and then just like another thing is if he's super charming, if he's like telling you that he's in love with you right away and he's like, it's like a couple weeks or maybe even the first date and he's like, I love you. And you're like, wait, we just met. Right. That, that That's a little off. Or, you know, maybe you're like, oh, I love you too. Because you're like getting that nice feeling. But like, you're not in love with anyone like two weeks, two months, like at least maybe six months. That's my perspective, you know? You know, every person's different, maybe a year for some people. But I think like around six months should be like, I love you or like eight months ish. I don't know, you know? And that's kind of what happened with, with John. And I've, and I think that's what you're talking about now, where if, if somebody all of a sudden is just into every single thing you're into, like everything automatically, like it, it can be a case of somebody mirroring you or they're just trying to get you to somehow feel a certain way or think you all are soulmates or you're identical, or this is true love because you all are into the same things. And the truth of the matter is, I think that, yes, I think it's important to have things in common, hundred percent common interests, common values, totally, but it can be, it can be this facade too. Right. Yeah. And I think that's why it's just, if you see that along with the moving too fast, somebody telling you that they love you within a matter of days or weeks or a few months or whatever, or just really trying too hard to get you to commit to a relationship or telling you, you know, all these charming things then definitely proceed with caution. Yeah, uh, no, I agree. So you've come such a long way, Tara, in the last, what, four years, you know, since every five, five years, gosh, yeah. time flies the last five yeah. years since, since everything really went down and you've not only, you know, saved your life potentially saved the life of other members of your family. And you've now gone on this, this deep healing journey to help with yourself, which I'm sure you're still on. Like you said, you're still going to therapy, you're practicing meditation and, and doing a lot of the inner work. Like what's, what's next for you? Like, do you see yourself, you know, writing a book? Do you see yourself, you know, progressing with, with the life coaching, the podcast, like where, where do you see yourself going in the future? So, you know, I really hope to get out my book soon. I did a book proposal. Well, I've done two book proposals, but unfortunately one of the books kind of got squashed because my mom sold hers right before mine. So unfortunately that affected book sales. Right. So, you know, now I'm kind of trying to do a different book, which is about like the healing journey and how to heal and like, what is like maybe like reparenting and boundaries and all those fun words that we talk about and talk about like my experience also with those words. Right. So trying to get that book out there, fingers crossed. And then I'm just furthering with life coaching. Right now I'm fostering a dog because I just, before I used to work with dogs and there's so many in the kill shelters right now. So I'm I just have issues with dogs that I have to get them. (laughs) And then I am also doing a show on Fireside will be about women getting out of situations 
And then I'm also still doing my podcast time out with Tara. That one's just like, you know, sporadic every once in a while. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I hope you get that book out. Cause I'm sure it's going to be an interesting perspective, like hearing like, well, I mean, I know you're, I'm sure you'll talk about your side of the story a bit in the book, but also talk about how you've healed and reparented yourself. Like, the, you know, as a result of everything that you've gone through and then, yeah, having the life coach, because I think some of the best teachers and best coaches can be from people that have gone through hell and back and have their own deep personal journey that they've had to go through to get them to the place of now where they're helping others, like all your experiences, everything you went through. I mean, it's hard to relate to certain parts of your story, right? But there's also a lot in there that a lot of people can relate to divorce home, you know, having so your, your mom have multiple husbands, have the, the family dynamics that comes with that your own trauma that you experienced, like you had talked about earlier in the podcast, uh, a lot of the trust issues and I can go on and on. And along those lines, I guess my last question is like, there's say there's somebody listening that's in a, in a toxic relationship, like very like similar to the one that, you know, your mom was in, or maybe one that you've maybe been in and in, in, in prior, but is at that point where they're just afraid to leave because they fear that if they leave something bad is going to happen to them? Like, are there certain things you, that you've learned that you might advise somebody to do to set themselves up so that that way they can feel at peace with the decision that they make? So it's so complicated to get out of something like that, especially when you're in it, in it, right. If you are on the first few dates, you know, maybe even for six months and you're not seeing this guy, like, every single day or you're seeing him maybe like every other week or something like that um do the fade out where maybe you become a little bit more difficult you want things from him or not things from him but you're just like you're nitpicking start to nitpick stuff and start to just be complicated and kind of weed that off or you can like not talk to him as much but if he notices that pullback you know, just make an excuse that you aren't feeling good. You're just not feeling, you have to weed it out in like a nice way. Something that doesn't affect their ego. Like you have to, it has to do everything with you and not them, if that makes sense. Like, you know, this may be like TMI, but like, just say you're having like a difficult period or something. <laughs> and, you know, unfortunately guys can't use this one, but like start to just have like your period every week. I don't know. Just like make sure the problems are about you and not him. And so, so you're saying like just fading out, like slowly removing yourself from the relationship, checking out, becoming more like needy, I guess you're saying, wanting more things. I guess the method there is to slowly disconnect emotionally, but at the same time, hopefully push that other person away because now they're seeing that you're just a lot, a lot, right? Yeah. Instead of like trying to cut it off right away, because that can be painful in, in, in a few ways where it's painful emotionally, because now you're disconnecting from somebody that at one point you had feelings for which is a challenge and doing that like cold Turkey can be hard for a lot of people. And then it's also, if you're like breaking up with that person, it makes it appear that there's something going on with them. And if there's somebody who is threatening, 
that could make them want to come after you. Correct. Well, like this is like the first six months that I say right. like this suggestion, you know, if you're in it and you're like, either this person's your husband, you know, maybe you're engaged to this person, you've been living with this person, they want to live with you, you know, you have to really, first of all, consult with someone that knows a psychopath or sociopath, um, knows their next moves. And will help you plan the get out. You know, you have to kind of plan, put things aside, confide in a friend, you know, confide in a friend that this person's a bad person, document every single thing. But if they look at your phone, make sure you document it on like maybe a burner phone and you give that burner phone to a friend because it's really hard to hide stuff in the house. And I make that so clear. Like maybe you have a routine where you go to the uh, dry cleaners every week. Maybe be like, hey, um, hit up one of your friends and see if she can meet you at the dry cleaner just to like talk about the kids or something, you know? And then there, tell her in person what's going on and ask her for docu- to document everything for her. Right. It's really important to just confide in people and to like, make people aware of it but people who are not going to go and alarm him Hmm. because you know maybe you have that mutual friend that will also go be like well maybe this isn't really what's going on and we'll go say something to him right right yeah so I guess protecting yourself like and making sure that you're being proactive with your safety and and having people around you that you know you can count on is pivotal in situations like that because you're essentially like documenting, like you said, documenting everything. And then also having people that, that can know your whereabouts, know exactly what you're documenting and the situation. So that if something goes down, they're as equipped as possible to be able to relay that information to law enforcement, to other members of the family to help navigate that situation in a healthy way. Cool. Yes. But if he, you know, hurts you in any way where it's threatening to your life, call the cops right away. Get out of it. Because, you know, that's the time when he can really hurt you. Yeah, cool. Well, Tara, this has been awesome. I, I, I really thank you for your openness, your vulnerability. I know it's not easy to talk about stuff like this, especially, you know, given the fact that, um, you know, it's, it's really st- still pretty fresh you know it's not i mean five years yes but you know it was it was it's five years isn't isn't really that that long you know of a time especially considering that even before all this happened you had experienced other traumatic situations in your life that impacted that impacted you you know when you were a kid and even into your adulthood so i wanted to thank you once again for coming on here and i'm being so open well thank you so much so and then with that said, like if people want to find out more about you, whether it's your podcast, whether it's what you're doing with, with life coaching, or they want to follow you on social media, where's the best place for them to do that? So I am on Instagram the most, Tara, T-E-R-R-A-N-E-W-E-L-L, uh, Tara Newell. And then I'm also have a website that's attached to my Instagram. I'm also on Twitter. Tara underscore Newell. And then also my website's Tara Newell survival.com. And then my podcast is time out with Tara. And then this coming week should be a podcast on fireside called it's either get out or watch out. 
Nice. Still working on the name. Yeah. Cool. Well, I will make sure to to plug all the, the links to your 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 website, your podcast, and your social media in the show notes. And wanted to once again thank you uh, for coming on. For those listening, what I'd like you to do, like I try to recommend with every episode, is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something inspiring that that Tara shared about how she defended herself. Maybe it was something she said about how this guy presented himself at the beginning of his relationship with her mom. Maybe it was something that she said about her healing journey, whatever it was, tag Tara, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. We'll see you next time.